Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. So, Bart, here we are. We're at the summary stage of our success toolkit. And listen, I've thoroughly enjoyed sitting with you over these uh, eight or so sessions, taking a deep dive into things. But I suppose the purpose of this um, final episode is to summarize, as it says on the tin, go through some of the major points on the the eight topics that we've gone through. There's obviously going to be some overlap, and we'll talk about that overlap. But like I was saying to you earlier, I think if we're repeating the main things for people to go away and work on, that's great. And and I just want to you know remind both of us why we're here. It's a practical toolkit, isn't it? It's the idea that we're talking about these possibly abstract topics, but really getting into the idea of practicality. So um, if, if some people are just joining us right here and right now, welcome. And I hope you enjoy the summary one. But the idea for this is for you to hopefully be motivated where you listen to a couple of things that Bart and I talk about, and you maybe go back and take a 15, 20 minute look into each of those individual topics. Um, so should we dive right in, Bart? I think we started uh, episode one with nerves and anxiety. So what are your main headlines, takeaway messages, practical tools around this big subject? Yeah, I, I think it's very important that uh, people see nerves as something negative. Um, I think the first step would be to to, to recognize that nerves uh, tell you that it means something to you. I mean, if you wouldn't be nervous at all about something, it means you don't really care at all. So mm. and that's another thing. Nerves are, are something positive. And as we as we spoke in, in the podcast itself, um, I would always dive into the the why question. Like, there's a why. Why am I nervous? Well, in the end, it's a bit like I, I just said. Like, it, it means something to you. Well, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to lose? What does it mean to win? And then you get to a certain point where you reach like the, the source of your anxiety or the source of your nerves. And then obviously it would be great to share this with, with coach, parent, girlfriend, wife, whatever. Mm. And, and, you know, since that actually, that first episode, we talked about nerves and anxiety. I, again, that, that, that question, why has been so powerful. And I've started to think, you know, for for an athlete is the question why and how probably the two most important questions like why why are you nervous or why are you doing something and then how 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 are you doing it what's the purpose around that so yeah you've actually got me to really reflect on these nerves and anxiety kind of topic and um like i said anyone listening we go into a bit of a deep dive there but i'm also interested to know um you know debilitating nerves i think we spoke about the idea of someone's about to play a match or go into a meeting or a big job proposal, whatever it may be. And the nerves are so debilitating. 
Um, I know this might kind of overlap into pressure and how to release pressure in a way, but any thoughts or tools on how to release the nerves a little bit? Yeah, exactly. So uh, as we said, uh, um, nerves play, play in your mind or they start in your mind because your mind is afraid of something and it has to it reflects it in the body. So the body reacts to whatever your mind is thinking. So you might run into like a panic mode. So whatever we need to do is like to make this, it's a cycle basically, a cycle from the head, which has these negative thoughts or anxieties, and it it, it turns into emotions and the emotions reinforce this, the thoughts you have again. Mm. So we need to make the cycle stop or, or intervene somewhere. So the, the easiest way to go is to make sure you don't give any attention to your mind, mm-hmm. which, which means uh, I need to move my attention away from my thoughts. So that would be... I think we mentioned the example of of of, of singing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, or what I sometimes do is anxiety means you're you're actually afraid. So when you're scared, and when you're scared, you're sad. So I would sometimes look at like uh, sad movies or listen to sad songs, and I just start crying just to get the emotion I, out, and it shifts my mind away from my problems and my world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this cycle yeah. that's going on, we have to stop that by focusing on something else than the actual thoughts or anxiety. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And and I know a lot of the work has to be done before the performance happens. You know, there's kind of weeks and weeks. And I know you work with players who come and, you know, stay with you and you really unpack it. So, you know, I think the message that I have, there's no quick fix for nerves. But the main takeaway point is nerves are a good thing. Let's reframe them into we're getting our mind and our body ready for something that's important to us. But when something is important and it becomes hyper important and it becomes like, I have to win this match, that's irrational thinking, isn't it? And that's where I think with the help of a mental coach, with the help of of sharing with people, you can de-escalate that feeling of hyper-importance. And I think that's an important point in regard to nerves, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, when the when the nerves are there in the moment, then obviously it's, it's, it's too late to do like a, 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 a structural fix. But that's the time where you go for like your music or share to people, etc. But, mm-hmm. but of course, the main work has to be done before when you're not in the stress situation. That's where you really want to want to make a difference. Yeah, nice one. Awesome. Um, right. Topic two. We uh, week two we jumped into mindfulness. Um, big proponent myself. I really like to try and practice it in the formal sense, like sitting down and meditation. The informal sense about when changing activities to practice that neural pathway to get that stronger in your mind. So. Um, uh, mindfulness for the success toolkit. How does this play into into the athlete getting the best out of themselves? Yeah, I mean, even even related to to the first podcast, like nerves mean that you're you're worried about the outcome of a game. So if you're during a match worried about the outcome, your focus is on on the outcome and not on the actual actions, on like hitting the ball, moving through the court. So mindfulness is also the 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 capability of focusing on your action right now, doing one thing at a time now. And if I'm so absorbed in my activity, then there's no more room left to think about results, for example. So mm-hmm. so when you're truly mindful, their nerves can't come into play because there's just no room for them. All your attention is focused on the activity itself. Mm, I like that. And, um, you know, there's probably a whole podcast we could do on distraction because you know, Hebb's law says neurons that fire together, wire together. So the neurons that we're firing for distraction, if we're continually like that magpie looking for that bright, shiny thing and trying to give us dopamine, that really doesn't help the mindfulness. And that that lack of mindfulness away from the performance environment is then a very difficult transition when you come to perform, right? So your thoughts on, again, we're not going to tell teenagers or anyone adults to stop looking at phones and social media. It's a part of life. Thoughts on how you can possibly embrace the 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 chaos of things with uh distractions do you think it's a tough one this 
Yeah, but, but for me, it's more like I think mindfulness has a has a connotation like it's a bit like like spiritual maybe or like has a sense to it like this is only for people people in yoga pants and and, and old people maybe <laughs> but i think like just just like you just mentioned like doing one thing at a time is already even if we're talking whether we talk performance or not performance doesn't really matter as long as people realize just doing one thing at the same time is already being mindful and it increases your productivity enormously so mm. switch off your phone when you're working on your laptop or you know, or when you when you, I, I think we mentioned the example of when you enter the squash court, put your phone on, uh, switch it off, put it in your bag, and don't open it after you leave the center again. So even during your uh, your um, changing or your your warm up or your stretching afterwards or your showering, like all the stuff you do in the center is focused on on your sport and not on your phone or something something uh, that's that's distracting you. Mm. I really love that. And again, I, I'm quite guilty of that. I think a lot of us are, oh yes, we're just getting our shoes on. Let's quickly check our phone or like these, like these small little things that you just think actually it doesn't really matter. But I like how you put guide rails on. You kind of say, right, the, the moment I walk into the center and the moment I walk out, that's my safe space. That's my mindful place to be able to do it. And um, I think you even mentioned here, you know, start step-by-step in training, you know, small time periods. Any thoughts to expand on this idea of small time periods? Because I know people can find this difficult, even if you say, be mindful for two minutes, you know, people go, oh, that's easy. But actually, they're only mindful for 10 seconds and then they're on to the next thing. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think I mean, the longer the time period, the more difficult it gets. Um, for me, the, the most important thing is the sh- if you do a short time period, I don't care so much about the time period itself, whether it be sh- short or long. For me, it's more like you want to experience the feeling of, ah, something important might be happening on my phone. And then you know, this, this pull, this gravitating pull towards your phone in this case, or, or any social media or other, other activity or any problems you have in life, they, they pull you towards something else than the activity you're involved in. And when, you, when you're able to experience this pull, if you experience it for one second, that's, that's the first step of like, hey, this is a pull that I'm taking very serious, which is not very serious because, you know, when, when my phone dies, I realize it's pretty relaxing, actually. So mm. this pool, if you experience this pool just for one minute, I'm already happy. And if you do that a lot of times, that's great. And if you then afterwards can extend the time period, obviously that's great as well. I love that. That's really well put. I think it's that that self-awareness and the recognition of that 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 first pull and then putting a bit of a barrier in place. And actually, like it's a it's a it's a challenge, it's a test, isn't it? And if you can see it in a positive way to keep testing yourself to not to not just automatically go to that point, to actually be be strong enough to train the idea of staying in the moment. So no, really, really well put. And again, signposts to the longer podcast on the success toolkit. Okay, so week three. Week three was mental toughness. Um, huge topic, mental toughness, mental strength. I know some people don't like saying mental toughness, but let's call it what it is. It is mental toughness, strength, mental flexibility. Um, let's let's dive into this part. What are the main kind of headlines, the main topics that that you can remember talking about and that we can help people with today? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we, we we made it very simple in a sense that there's a lot of things said about mental toughness and mental flexibility. And but from, like we said, like it's very simple in a sense that you just make a plan and you stick to it. So whether it be something going wrong, well, I decided I'm going to train twice a day, so I'm going to do that. And and maybe this comes up or it rains outside or I had a fight with my wife. doesn't really matter. I have a, I have a plan and I stick to it. And the extent to which you're able to stick to your plan no matter what, that's your mental toughness. 
Mm. And it's actually funny you say that one of uh, my my colleagues and actually one of the guys that introduced us, um, he loved that episode in particular. He said, oh, I just love it. You like so simple. Let's stick to a plan. And ever since he's been, he's been kind of quoting that to me when I've seen him the last few times. So a big shout out to Andre, who might be listening to this, that, that like, I think he really enjoyed that. Um, but Again, this might even link into, we have not even spoken about this, like lack of sleep. Um, you know, that's a big one. I know a lot of people, like as soon as they're lacking sleep, they they can't stick to the plan. They Like, like there's an intention, they do it. You know, again, I suppose what I'm trying to ask is, how do you hold yourself people accountable to stick to the plan? I know I think you were quite kind of said almost give them a slap around the face and just do it, um, which which is true to a certain extent. But any thoughts on 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 someone who might be struggling to stick to a plan because they might have a couple of excuses like sleep, for example, like they've had such a big fight or their their emotions outside of their sport are so big. Um, any thoughts besides just saying keep sticking to the plan? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, for me, it's very obviously. I mean. Uh... I think if a trainer or something like it, it 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 flows a bit into the next episode of motivation, but it it's all like how important is it to you? Like how how important is it to you to become world champion? If if it's important to you, then you say yes to being twenty four seven committed to your sports, for example. Mm. So if you have uh, have motivation problems, that's fine. That's no problem for me. That just means that the goal you set yourself is not as important as you say it is. And then you just have to have a conversation with yourself or with your coach to to explain like, okay, you're not able to do this. That means that you have other things that you prioritize. So maybe we just have to scale down your goals. So your goals mm. match your commitment again. Mm. I like that. I think I think there's definitely a, like a symmetry between goals and behaviors. Those two things need to align. And, and if there's a mismatch, there's a conversation. Actually, I can't do any more behaviors. My behaviors are at the maximum. Okay, your goals are misaligned with your behaviors. Then you got to drop your goals or you raise your behaviors. And I, I really like that model. Um, and maybe the last thing on mental toughness, where I think a lot of people get this slightly wrong, there's a big difference between mental toughness and physical toughness, looking tough, gritting your teeth, physically showing that you're like running hard or training hard is almost hiding behind the fact that you are not mentally engaged. I've always kind of thought about it in that sense that yes, you know, there's a certain time where physical toughness has to kind of kick in, but is that just an excuse? Is that just hiding away that you're mentally not making yourself accountable and sticking to your plan? I didn't really get your question. Sorry. <laughs> so no, it was, it was kind of an open-ended one, but it's that idea that um, the difference between physical and mental toughness, you know, physical toughness looks like, like you're trying hard, but mental toughness is that idea about sticking to the plan again and again. So it's not really a mm. question. I suppose it's more of my statement, but I, I, I wondered if you've had any thoughts on, yeah, like, like you see an athlete that looks meant up to physically tough, but actually mentally, they're not really even sticking to a plan, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, most of the time, the the the, the players that look—I mean, not—I think in squash it's maybe different, but the people in life who are very well built, like the let's say the bodybuilders among us—and this is not me saying it from a jealousy point of view—mostly the people who have this um, in, in, in uh, insecureness or this uh, this they're not very self-confident. They try to compensate it by by growing muscles, basically. So. Yeah, yeah. In that sense, there is definitely a correlation between the two, and and most of the time, it's actually the opposite. That 
the biggest dudes out there are the smallest ones inside, basically. Mm, yeah, no, exactly. And we didn't speak about that. So I'm glad that we just touched that. Again, we're not dismissing, obviously, going and getting physically buff and looking good in that sense. But yeah, maybe, maybe there's an overcompensation in, in some way. So we'll have all, all the big meatheads coming after us soon, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so week four, we dived into motivation. And we, we again, as you can start to see, anyone listening, there is overlap between all these subjects. And I, I think that, that's good and that's important. Um, so motivation, you know, it's it's something that that I do wrestle with myself, with with the players I work with, kind of thinking, oh, okay, how motivated are they? What are your main headlines around motivation? Yeah, I think like in general, there's internal and external motivation. Um, ideally, I mean, the, the the only true motivation that works in the long run is internal motivation. So you always have to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Is it because I truly love the sports I do or the business I'm in or whatever? Um, but obviously, at the end of the day, we have to we have to remind ourselves we're just people, we're just humans. So obviously, I'm not going to be motivated every day, or obviously, I'm going to have struggles every day. So, and that's where the external goals come in. So the external goals goals are the ones that make me, yeah, push myself on on the on the on the weekdays basically. Mm-hmm. So for example, I'm I'm more more dedicated to sports than most people in our society society, but I still have to set myself a goal of doing a a full Ironman or something in order to make me do my sports every day. Mm. And after the sports, I'm super grateful that I did it. So, so yes, it, it makes me happy, but still I need this, these external goals to, to push me in, in the weak moments. Mm. And yeah, I want to unpack that a little bit more with you. I, I heard on a podcast re- recently, Alison McCaw talks about motivation and how to keep motivation is always having your big vision. Like you got to have your big vision. Like you don't want to have that like, as the only thing you do, because you need to break it down into your processes of a daily thing, like you for your Ironman, for example. But I love that idea of having that vision, like burnt in your head and really kind of going right. And then you ask, you know, I think, I think you made the notes of, you got to keep asking why, like, why am I doing this again? Like, why, why do I have this vision? Do I really want it in a way? Um, So yeah, I think, I think that whole idea about motivation and having that big vision is, is really key, but where are you at? I know this, this might, you know, when people listen, this might be a little bit um, not timely, but you're doing another Ironman, are you? And, and how's that going in regard to your motivation, your drive? Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the moment, I'm not training very hard because I'm very busy with other stuff. So that's that's what I just meant when I said before. Like sometimes you have to be honest and say, like, okay, okay, I might force myself to do stuff now, but to be honest, at the moment, other stuff is more valuable valuable to me. Like for example, my 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 son. Um, so, but whenever 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 I feel like okay, the time is there, my time and energy is there to focus on this, then I'll put an external goal to to mm-hmm. make myself lock in. Nice. Um, why I refer to internal motivation is more like, like you mentioned the vision, or you mentioned like the overall goal or dream goal that you have. We have to be be honest about the dream goal. Like, why do I have the dream goal? Is it just because I love the sport so much that I want to be the best at it and nothing else, or is there still like a a secondary reason, like sneaking behind, which you're not really honest about? Like, for example impressing your mom or you know like show you know showing off or those kind of things mm. and that's that's something that i feel very, that's very important because of course we all want to be world champion but do i want to be world champion because it's this sport is the, the 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 best thing that ever happened to me and i feel if you're really honest about it there's only the fr- the few greats out there that truly do something from an internal motivation point of view like if you look at Roger Federer or uh, LeBron James or those kind of guys. Those are the guys that are so passionate about their sports. 
that it's 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 I mean, of course, there are external motivation as well, but the, at least the internal motivation is is a hundred percent. Yeah, it's interesting that I would, like Rafa Nadal comes to mind. He's still doing it like 37, 38, and he's still like slogging away. And and one of my athletes asked me this the other day, which I thought was interesting. Going, well, it's easy for them to say, "Hey, only focus on the process and don't worry about the outcome," because they've done everything. And I thought that was a really interesting question because you know maybe someone who is you know, quite far off that and they, they struggling with things and they're going, yeah, well, like just trust, trust in the process and, and, and the outcomes will be there. Um, you might not have a, a thought on that, but I thought that was a real kind of cool pushback. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Cause again, the greats can turn around and say that because they've succeeded in everything. So it's kind of easier for them to stay motivated because they don't really need to do it much anymore because they've got everything they wanted externally. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, and it's, it's great that you bring it up because it's very funny. People always think like these guys are, uh more mentally strong than us they are more we're all looking to the capabilities that these people have that we don't have but the funny thing is it might also be that they're just uh, they just have an, a a natural born talent for a certain sports that is exaggerated i mean i'm not, i'm not trying to say that they're not training more than anyone else in the world mm -hmm. i'm just saying like if you get these positive reinforcements from a young age onwards like you keep winning of course your self confidence grows and of course, you're going to feel more motivated to train extra. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to a certain degree as well. And that's what you see with some athletes. That I mean, we had a recent case in, in, in my, my home country, Holland, where there's a professional athlete that got into a really black hole because she was winning. I'm, I'm not going to mention the athlete now, but she was winning a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of matches. And she was, I think she even became world champion at, a po at some point. And then she started losing and she never experienced the, emo the experience of losing. Hmm. But then suddenly insecurity became a thing. Like, oh, I, I didn't even know that insecurity existed because wow. from the age of 11 onwards, I was winning all the time. So, so I, d I definitely agree with your, with your pal over there. Like being successful is, is, yes, you're doing absolutely a lot of things right, but you might also not have seen the other side of the coin either. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. And uh, there was a tennis example. I think it was um, Gail Monfils, who was as a junior was like, he was like, he's going to crush everyone. And, but he never experienced actually losing so when he got onto the atp and he was like kind of destined to become the next roger federer he he just he couldn't handle the losing and i actually i spoke with someone about that who was actually really involved in his training camps and stuff and so that's another example of yeah when winning at all times might not be the best thing because you don't learn the other side of the coin um i know we're not really talking about motivation yet but it's a generally a cool cool topic to talk about i think yeah yeah definitely yeah so um week five pressure i know we might have spoken bits about this so we might not spend as much time on this um but if you want to maybe expand on your thoughts of pressure how it's all possibly in our head how it kind of comes through down in our body i think that's a really cool thing i learned from you when we recorded this episode yeah um i think like take it one step back the first thing we, we said like if you feel pressure like this is the i mean i love it because it gives, it's a great invitation into in a self-reflection like okay uh, pressure is just in your mind and it's not something you can see i mean in the end you can see it with sweaty hands or like uh, shivering hands or, or going to the toilet a lot of times before a match that's where you actually can see it in the outside world but besides that it's just a concept in your mind so some some part of your brain tells you you're heading into a dangerous situation mm -hmm. in a sense that this might threaten your ego your whoever you are as a person and i feel like that's why if this happens it's great then contact us because there's a lot of, of personal development that you can go through. So it's, mm. it's, it's a great invitation from your body to yourself. Yeah. Love um, that. And then to, uh, to, to cut back to what you're actually asking. Um, um, I think we mentioned a bit before, 
like it's it's a concept in your mind so get get this this energy or this 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 uh, um, sorry this focus away from your mind into your body or into the ex external world so either you, you walk into nature and, and 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 focus on things outside of yourself or, or we mentioned like music we mentioned all this stuff that it drags your your attention away from the head into the body and then obviously the pressure will will lower lower itself as well mm, totally love love those tips and i i learned a lot from that and you know breathing for me is such a key thing breathing interventions different styles of breathing it it's it's kind of a a positive distraction if we can call it that because you're focusing on the patterns and the counting and where you hold your breath and where you let go in through your nose into your diaphragm it's actually a real cool thing but one of the points you sent me which i just want to expand on myself whatever you give attention to grows that's a, it's a very stoic philosophy which is what you throw in the fire becomes the fire and it's so true isn't it like like the more you throw that thing on the fire the more you you even if you label it as pressure like that in itself makes it even more pressure it kind of gives the monster kind of growth and eyes and fangs because you you're, you're basically you know associating with it so i quite like that idea about labeling i think in this and we haven't really spoken too much about language and self-talk and stuff but um thoughts yeah. on labeling and pressure yeah, I mean, uh, like you just mentioned, uh, just to take it one uh, notch back, like uh, the, whatever is attention on grows. I mean, I I, I experienced it my, myself the last few months as well. Like I've been very, very busy. It's a, a, a hectic times in, in my business life. It's busy times at home with a, with a small boy at home. Um, we recently bought a house that we want to renovate. So my life is super busy that I, I was kind of focusing on all the negative stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I really felt like over the last few months that I was pulling myself into like a negative state of mind and to and I noticed it that my my energy levels were lower like my motivation was lower and then at some point I realized like hey wait a minute this is not where I want to be this is not who I want to be and it sounds very simple but it needs to hurt a little in order to make the the, the switch the shift in your mind like hey I'm living one life and I'm and I don't want to live it like this the negativity can be there the stress can be there but I can still like go at it in a positive way and then so, so what I'm trying to say is like, if you feel pressure or if you feel negativity or a bad state of mind, um, it's not it's not something you can change. It can be your choice to do. Like, if you run into a traffic jam, it's still your choice to how to deal with it. Am I going to take it the negatives out of it and say like, ah, oh, I always have bad luck, or am I going to say, hey, this gives me a great time to call my my grandma, which I haven't spoken to for three weeks. Mm. I love that. And, and and that's some really cool heightened self-awareness of yourself to be able to do. And that's, again, getting into maybe a zoomed out realm. That's possibly where a lot of mental strength and part of the successful toolkit comes from is self-awareness. Like we don't want to be living that certain life, but we can actually make the choice to change. So good stuff. Okay. So week six, visualization. I know visualization might not be a big part of your training. Um, a lot of athletes swear by it. Some athletes don't even really care by it. Um, you know, any any main headlines from visualization? Yeah, I mean, uh, visualization, first of all, we said, like we mentioned before, uh, research shows that the brain doesn't make a big difference between actual doing an activity and just doing it in your thought world. So so obviously, visualization has a lot of gains. And I think even like you mentioned before, the setting the dream goal or your, your vision, if you set a dream goal, you already see yourself standing on that podium with as a world champion or whatever. So, so I think we're doing more visualization unconsciously than we're aware of. Mm -hmm. And I know from a lot of sports where they're like the technique is to has to be like perf perfectionized. They're like there's a lot of visualization going on that they're like even back home focusing on the right stride to make or on the right movement with the hand. So, so yeah, if you're not doing something uh, physically, 
you can still train your body and your mind when you do it uh, on, on a mental level. So in, in, in this case with visualization. Mm. And listen, nothing is going to replace the actual physical practice or those tough matches in training or those competition. Let's not kind of be deluded that just sitting in, and training the mind for like a month before a tournament and then getting into a tournament and hoping to actually, we, I think we know that, but I just want to make the point that it's, um, it feels like, um, part of a recipe part of a like like you know just putting a bit of flavor onto your onto your meal you know it kind of adds a little bit of spice to it um and it might link to our next topic which we'll get into pretty soon the idea of you know when you're injured maybe it's a good time to start to practice visualization or training different things for the mind which could be a good overlap in there but yeah like you said what what i think is really cool now is the brain studies show the link between real vivid visualization and the, the neural pathways are exactly the same as when you're executing the skill. The, the the body and brain know it's not actually hitting the ball or kicking the ball or whatever, but the neural pathways are firing up and you become familiar with that feeling. And I quite like that idea of familiarity with it. Um, so let's kind of quickly go into dealing with injuries because I think there, there, there could be a little bit of a link here. Um, I really enjoyed this episode in particular because this is a big common thing that a lot of athletes go through and then it's a doom and gloom thing. But I, I think you spoke about injuries and opportunities that you have within those injuries. So what's your main thoughts on injuries? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, injuries for me fall into the same category as anything negative that happens in your life. So stuff that you don't want to experience, like loss, losing or playing bad or whatever. Um, so all of these negative things actually invite you to to, to self-reflect. So I, to be honest, like for some of my players I coach, I always hope for them to lose because then they'll come to me and say, things are going bad, let's, let's work on something. So most people don't self-reflect unless things go wrong. Mm. So in that sense, deal injuries is something that goes very wrong. Uh, so it's a great time to self-reflect and see like, okay, why am I so depressed that I'm not a to able to do what I want to do? And then you see that a lot of athletes coming back from uh, injuries are very, very much more internally driven and internally motivated because they realize how much they love the sport, for example, that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then their, their, their motivation shifts a lot of time from external motivation to becoming world champion or something else into just enjoying my profession as a squash player, for example. Hmm. Yeah, really powerful stuff. And that's why I liked it because we really got into the, again, it links into self-awareness this as well, doesn't it? That, you know, the athlete, you know, you don't wish an injury on someone, but actually when it happens, there's a, there's a shift in, in the thinking. And actually if they're surrounded by good people, like, you know, good family, a good kind of mental coach like yourself, they can see things through a positive lens and, and all of a sudden they come back stronger, like you said. So all I'm doing is reflecting what you said, because I don't think I can add much to that. It's a real powerful, powerful way of thinking. Um, I wish I knew this a little bit when I was a player because my injuries were like <laughs> like the worst and it was just like doom and gloom and it always happens to me and all that kind of victim mentality. But actually what you're saying, we don't have to take a victim mentality with injuries. We can see it as a real positive. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, listen, week eight, our very last one, um, a big interesting one to bring it all together was mental health. Um, you know, yes, we're in a performance environment, working with, with athletes and people who want to get the best out of themselves, but there is the dark side of the coin. Um, so when we talk about mental health, um, what are your, your main bit that you want to kind of express? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a very nice topic and very current. Like the, I think our current society has <laughs> big mental health issues, um, but it's a transition phase. So uh, we'll see uh, how we come out of it on the other mm. end. Um, I think the most important thing about mental health is you always think like you're special in a sense, like I have these problems. For example, when I was a newborn dad, basically... I thought I was the only one struggling with having a son, for example. And then mm -hmm. 
I shared my experiences. So this is one of the, the, the most important things. I shared my insecurities and my struggles that I had with with the people around me, with other dads, basically. And they were laughing because they said, like, yeah, this is so familiar because I'm I'm dealing with the same stuff. Mm. And I think if we realize that the problems we're going through are similar for for other people as well, then it already really relieves the burden already to a big extent. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that idea of sharing. And I think, like you said, we are in a society now where sharing becomes it. it's so there's no taboo around it anymore. Before it was like, Oh, if you shared this, you're showing weakness. Actually, if you share it now, you're showing strength, aren't you? You're kind of going, you're admitting to it. You're addressing the problem. I think that that's a real important point. It looks like you're going to say something on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I, I mean, it's a bit of out of the scope of this. I think like the sharing culture that we have now is, in my but that's my humble personal experience is a bit over over the top right now so sharing becomes kind of like it's a cool thing to do and for me what I, what i when i when i refer to like sharing is you want to look ugly in a sense like you want to um you want to admit that you're that i was a shit dad in the beginning or you want to admit that you're you're getting you were getting depressed by all the sleep deprivation you had. So like showing your ugly side, and and if you show your ugly side, you're opening up like a an opportunity for the person across from you to also show their ugly side. And if we're able to do that, then we both feel better. Mm. And that's something else than sharing and like talking a lot and and trying to draw attention towards you, basically. Mm. I think I I read recently that that vulnerability is actually a real. Uh, like a, a common habit in high performers, they are actually quite vulnerable. They show their vulnerability, not not for like moaning and kind of, oh, look how bad my life is, but actually when they admit their vulnerability, they can address it pretty quick, which I really like. And um, with with mental health, we talk quite a lot about happiness. And 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 again, I'm, I'm pretty big on this. I think you are. Um, you know, we often think we're going to be happy when we reach that, that ranking or get that amount of money or have that amazing new house. But actually happiness is pretty much in each and every moment. We can kind of find the happiness in the process. What are your thoughts around that then? How, how can we help people address that? Yeah, I think it's it's very important to to realize. I mean, it's it's very hard to realize, but I think it's very important to realize that in the long run, nothing is going to make you happy. I mean, getting that first car is going to make you happy for the first few months. Getting that new girlfriend is going to make you happy the first few months. And, and after that, you'll be fighting again, no matter which girlfriend you're going to have. So in that sense, the problems will always arise again and again. So, yes, I, I, I think it's important to appreciate the positive things in life and and celebrate the victories you're having. But also at the same time, keep in the back of your mind that if the true happiness is not coming from me, who I am now, with all the bad stuff and the good stuff all together, then then I'm never going to experience true happiness or I, I must win the jackpot or become world champion, which not many of us do in the end. Mm. Yeah, and, and important to keep checking in with that as well because I think we do get on that hedonic treadmill of, you know, even in, if you're doing healthy kind of habits or healthy things in, in your business, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for the right reason for other people. But as soon as you're on the hedonic treadmill of more, more and more, you know, you're, you're not filling that space up, you know, you're spiking your dopamine and then you need even more dopamine the next time. And that becomes such a vicious cycle. And it's a hard thing for like, you know, if someone is wanting to be a world champion in their sport, that you do need that striving, but then you also do need to pause and bring yourself back into the moment, don't you? And actually celebrate some of the small baby steps and the small wins along the way. And that's something I would try to get a lot of my athletes to try to do is cultivate the small wins. Um, your, What's your thoughts on cultivating the small wins? Yeah, I think the, the funny thing is, you can't go wrong because uh, I mean you can't do this stuff wrong because if you're only focusing on the results, at some point you're going to be de- depressed anyway. I mean, 
failures is bound to happen latest when you die so like mm-hmm. i mean uh, in, in that sense if you're if you're not able to to have happiness from the the thing that's happening right now that's okay i mean at some point some negativity will come and you'll fall into this black hole and then y- yeah you have to ask yourself the questions then so whether you appreciate the moment now yes or no if you do it now it's great it, t- it saves you a lot of pain in the future or a lot of disappointment in the future but if you don't at, at some point disappointments will come and they will teach you to be more grateful what, with whatever you have mm, yeah i love it so bart there we are eh in end of the road what do you think how are you feeling about it i think that's that that's uh like a good summary of things what's uh what's your thoughts and final reflections on on the eight weeks plus the summary session yeah, I mean, I was very happy to do it. I mean, it was my first uh, first time doing podcasts, so um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious how uh, how how it got, comes across to people if they appreciate it. I think we both agreed on the fact that um, that we may kind of missed some interactions. So I think uh, you already uh, you already focus on the next plan on uh, on getting some interactive sessions going on. But but I, I loved it, and I think it was also a good a good memory for myself to remember myself all the topics and and keep them uh, applied to my life as well. Amazing. Well, thank you. Listen, Bart, you've been an absolute treat. I really appreciate, you know, I reached out to you a couple of months ago. I feel like we formed a really kind of cool friendship on, on online here now. And, you know, we, we speak to each other quite quite often. Um, sounds like you've got some amazing things in your life, but I do really appreciate the amount of time you've taken out, your knowledge, your your way of thinking, your philosophy of things. But yes, just to reflect what you said, um, we're going to start to maybe think about some mindful uh, masterclass stuff where we're going to get a bit of a live Q&A going. That will all be kind of let out into the world at some point soon. So I don't want to say any dates, anything just yet. Um, and listen, for anyone listening, I think if you enjoyed this last summary, if you, like I said, if you joined in here, there's a whole bunch of stuff above this, you know, eight real deep dive episodes. And my final call to action or my final message for anyone listening, if you did enjoy this, please do reach out. Please let us know. I know I've, I've been getting some emails from people and people that have seen me just uh, at my club that have thoroughly enjoyed it, quoting back some of the things I've done. But I know there's there's a bunch of other topics, you know, so if there's enough demand out there and you would like Bart and I to maybe look at some other topics, please let us know. Obviously, we need to make sure that the demand is high enough. If two people reach out, it's probably not worth it. But if there's enough demand for certain subjects that I know I'd love to sit with Bart and talk about. Um, but listen, anyone listening out there, thank you so much for your time and effort. Please do share, pass it on, send this to anyone who think might benefit from listening to this. But a huge final thank you to Bart. Bart, listen, good luck with all your busy parts of your life. And me and you will be speaking really soon again. All right, man. Definitely. I uh, enjoyed it as well.